If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on the Chorus Radio Network. I want to begin uh, the conversation in this hour about blood plasma. And, and obviously, look, even before this whole pandemic, uh, plasma is really crucial when it comes to developing a lot of valuable and even life-saving therapies. Uh, but certainly COVID-19 has illustrated where there's uh, another potential avenue of benefit here. Uh, the idea that uh, blood plasma from recovered COVID-19 patients could be used to help others recover from the illness. There's a lot of research underway looking at that. But that requires uh, donors. That requires people willing to come forward and donate their plasma. Obviously, Canadians are encouraged to do so, and and Canadians do. Uh, But the reality is that we have to import a lot of blood plasma from the United States. Now, one way potentially to uh, incentivize people to donate more or more people to donate would be to compensate them to allow for some minimal compensation uh, for their time and for their donation. Uh, but we've seen steps in Canada to, to prevent that. But the reality is that just means we rely more on the United States where compensation is allowed and is fairly common. And it seems hypocritical, doesn't it, for us to stand on our high horse and say we're not going to stand for that here in Canada, but then to continue to rely so heavily on the United States. So, as mentioned, this COVID-19 situation, I think, underscores the importance of having adequate supplies of COVID-19 and and also to not have to rely as much as we do on on other countries. There's a new report out looking at at this issue and also, you know, the ethics around this, too, which I I think are an important part of the conversation. Uh, It's a report done for the Niskanen Center in the U.S., the Adam Smith Institute in the U.K., and the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. Uh, The study is called Bloody Well Pay Them. The case for voluntary remunerated plasma collections. Joining us to talk more about it is the author of this report, Peter Jaworski. Uh, Dr. Jaworski is an associate teaching professor in strategy, ethics, economic, and public policy at Georgetown University. Peter, so great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Rob. Well, we've talked about this before, and you've done a lot of work on this issue, and and so all of this was already important and relevant uh, pre-pandemic, but what what do you think has changed around the conversation around plasma donation as a result now of COVID-19? Well, there's been a a couple of differences that I think are really important. The first one is that the pandemic has resulted in a decrease in plasma donations in the United States. The data, the numbers that I've heard is that there's been a reduction of about 15% um, in plasma donations in the United States, uh, similar figures uh, in Canada as well. That's one thing to be concerned about. Now, as you probably know, but your listeners might not, it takes about seven to 12 months to create a plasma therapy from the raw plasma. Mm -hmm. 
So we shouldn't see shortages if we see shortages until seven to 12 months from today. So that's one problem. The other problem is that the convalescent plasma that you mentioned, they are looking at creating a plasma therapy from that convalescent plasma. It's called a hyperimmune globulin. All that is is the antibodies that people make after having had coronavirus. We isolate that, we concentrate it, and then we have a treatment for the novel coronavirus. That looks very promising. If that works, if that's effective, that's going to increase worldwide demand on the United States, right? The United mm -hmm. States supplies 70% of the entire world's plasma to manufacture these plasma therapies. Now, the question is whether or not they can manage to handle that demand. I'm told that, that they are able to hopefully be able to manage the demand and hopefully plasma donations will bump up uh, this month and maybe next month. Uh, and if so, then we shouldn't see a problem. But this is a perpetual issue, Rob. We have a shortage in Canada and we need to, to do something about it and urgently. Yeah, and people would be surprised, I think, but just how much of our plasma supply actually comes from the United States. I mean, it's it's the vast majority, really, isn't it? Uh, well, 70% of the world's supply comes from the United States, and Canada relies on the United States for more than 80% of our plasma therapies. Uh, and uh, Canadian Blood Services is predicting that it'll go to 90% within the next two to three years. So we do have a potential situation then of increased demand for plasma products and maybe a drop off in supply in the United States. And, and look, I mean, the United States is going to make sure that they're looked after first and foremost, understandably so. Uh, so that could mean potential shortages for countries like Canada, couldn't it? It does mean that. And actually, Canadian Blood Services, uh, Australia's National Blood Authority, New Zealand uh, Blood Services, uh, the United Kingdom's, the NHS Blood and Transplant, all of them have raised alarms about the situation as far back as like 2012, 2013. Canadian Blood Services has been saying almost every year since 2014 that we have an unsustainable situation, that we need to do something urgently about this, and we've done nothing about it. Now, in terms of the, the situation in Canada, because uh, there has been, I think, one clinic maybe, I believe, in Winnipeg that's existed for a couple of decades where donors have been compensated. Otherwise, that's not the norm in Canada. We've seen some provinces, including the previous Alberta government, take steps to ban compensation for plasma donation. But what's, what's the legal landscape on, on that question in Canada at the moment? So it is a provincial and territorial uh, jurisdiction. So each province and each territory can decide for itself. Um, in 2014, Ontario banned it. The law is called the Voluntary Blood Donations Act. I think it's a terrible law. I urge your listeners to call their local MLAs and tell them to get rid of the Voluntary Blood Donations Act. It was passed in Alberta under Rachel Notley in 2017, and British Columbia passed the same act in 2018. Now, there is that one uh, uh, center operated by Prometic Plasma Resources in Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba. It's been operating since 1984. Uh, there are also two others, one in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, the other one in Moncton, New Brunswick. Those are operated by Canadian Plasma Resources. That's the company that caused the big, um, I guess I can't curse on the radio, but th they caused the really big furor back in 2012 when they said that they would open 10 plasma centers across Canada. 
Ontario, Alberta, British Columbia, they banned it. There was an effort by uh, independent Senator Pamela Wallen to ban it across Canada. Uh, but there they actually listened to the patients. By the way, this is important too. The patient groups, the groups that represent patients who are dependent on the, the medicines made from human blood plasma, all of them are against banning paid plasma in Canada, right? So we banned it in Ontario, Alberta, British Columbia. We would have had 19 plasma centers because Prometic Plasma Resources had plans to open nine additional plasma centers on top of the one that they operate in Winnipeg in Canada and Canadian Plasma Resources had plans to open 10. By 2018, so uh, two years ago, all 19 of those would have been open and operational. And given that uh, you collect about 40,000 liters per of plasma per commercial plasma center, we would have been 50% self-sufficient in immunoglobulin today. Right? Wow. We would have been if those laws had not been passed. If those laws had not been passed, we would not be in the situation that we are in today, which is, you know, patients, I listen to, um, you know, I, I, I get a chance to listen to these Zoom calls that some of the patient organizations in Canada put together. Mm -hmm. And the patients are worried, Rob, they're concerned about their supply of plasma therapies. We had a shortage of a particular kind of immune globulin in 2019. Now, no patients went without immunoglobulin, but what you have to understand is that patients had to switch the brand of immunoglobulin that they had to use, and that comes with different side effects. Um, it's also true that the particular kind of immunoglobulin that we had a shortage in, it's called subcutaneous immunoglobulin. Uh, the brand name was Covitru from, uh, from Takeda. Um, you can use that subcutaneous immunoglobulin at home, in the comfort of your home. When we had a shortage of that, Canadian Blood Services switched patients onto an intravenous immunoglobulin, which meant that all of those patients would have to go to a healthcare setting in order to have that medicine injected. And that's really inconvenient on top of the, you know, on top of the concerns that these patients have to deal with on a daily basis about their supply of plasma medicine. So really, I mean, these laws didn't accomplish anything beyond making us more dependent on the United States. Um, you know, I guess there's there's hope that we can try to encourage more people to to voluntarily donate plasma. Um, but it, it is disingenuous, isn't it, to say that we're going to to take a stand that, that this is uh, immoral or unethical. And yet we're just going to continue to be reliant on, on the United States. I'm not sure how proponents of that that approach reconcile those two positions. I think you're being uh, I think you're being very kind, Rob, <laughs> by calling it disingenuous. I think we should just call it what it is, which is hypocritical. When the law was passed in Ontario, they said we're going to ban paid plasma. Well, back in 2014, Canada was importing about a quarter, uh, excuse me, Canada was uh, supplying about a quarter of the plasma used to manufacture these medicines. Now we're down to 13.5%. Ontario is using more paid plasma today than it was before it passed the law to ban paid plasma in 2014. The same is true in Alberta. Alberta is using more paid plasma today than in 2017 when the Alberta government banned paid plasma. And where do we get that plasma? We get it from the United States where donors are paid, right? 
We get mm -hmm. it from the United States where donors are paid. And then we say, well, okay, uh, paid plasma is exploitative. They say it exploits the poor. Now, first of all, I'm an ethicist and my own judgment is that it is not exploitative. In fact, it represents a pretty good deal. You get paid about 30 to $50 per donation. It takes about an hour and a half to donate blood plasma. It's not very convenient. You spend about 40 minutes with a needle in your arm. Everybody, by the way, who works at Canadian Blood Services, the nurses, the phlebotomists, the administrators, everybody gets paid for plasma, right? Even the plasma itself has a, a price tag on it already, right? Canadian Blood Services collects it, uh, but there is a price on that plasma. Why do, you, why do we think that it's okay not to pay the person whose plasma it is, but it is okay to pay everybody else who works at, um, uh, at the center where you donate your plasma? It makes no sense. So it's a good deal, I say, 30 to $50. That's more than minimum wage. It's substantially more than minimum wage. It's not risky. It's not dangerous for people to donate plasma. In fact, we just had World Blood Donor Day yesterday, and I should say to your listeners that they should donate blood and plasma uh, at Canadian Blood Services or cross the border into Saskatchewan, go to Saskatoon and sell your plasma uh, if, that's, if that's what you prefer. But people should be donating both blood and plasma. I think it's really important. Um, that people do that. But I don't see any ethical issues here. I just see screaming hypocrisy. And, and there really, I don't think there is, you can clarify this, there, there really is no country on earth that has managed to become self-sufficient solely with voluntary donations, correct? That is correct. There's no country. I would love to, to hear an example of a country where that's true. In fact, New Zealand, you had mentioned the rugby game in New Zealand earlier. New Zealand was the only country in the world to be completely self-sufficient on voluntary plasma donations back in 2014. Then they started importing in 2015. Uh, in 2019, they were 13% dependent on the United States uh, and prospects for the future. You know, it, it, every country, Every single country around the world is supplying less and less, fewer and fewer of these medicines using domestic unpaid plasma donations. Every single country in the world. The countries that have seen increases are the countries that pay. That's the United States, that's Germany, that's Austria, that's Hungary, and it's Czechia or the Czech Republic. And actually, the Czech Republic is really enlightening here. They changed the law in 2008. They permitted paying donors of plasma in 2008. And they went from collecting 90,000 liters to uh, something like 700,000 to 800,000 liters. They increased it seven times over within three years with no effect on their unpaid blood donations. That is what we can expect in Canada as well. If big provinces like Ontario, Alberta, and British Columbia, if they change their minds about banning paid plasma, I think we could anticipate seeing something like a sevenfold increase increase in the amount of plasma that we collect, and we would be well on our way to self-sufficiency. Uh, Germany, Hungary, uh, uh, Czechia, uh, and Austria, as well as the United States, are also the only countries in the world that collect enough plasma to supply 100% of the therapies, the plasma medicines that they need. So, I mean, the choice is pretty clear, I think. It's either we allow payment for donors 
or we rely on the United States more and more. Canadian Blood Services has put forward a plan to open 40 unpaid plasma centers across Canada over the next seven or so years. They're opening three proof of concept sites. But if we look at the experience of Quebec, Quebec has four plasma specific collection centers. They're called Plasma V. They've had those since I think 2014. And Quebec has gone from being 16.1% self-sufficient in 2015, all the way up to 21.3% self-sufficient. Yeah. They basically haven't moved the needle. Each of those four Plasma V centers collects about 23,000 liters per year. If a commercial plasma center was collecting less than 30,000 liters of plasma per year, they would shut it down. They are half as effective as, as paying people for plasma, at least half as, as effective, and they are more than twice as expensive. Uh, a Health Canada expert panel that was convened, um, they released their report in 2018, and they estimated that it is about two to four times more expensive to operate a plasma center that doesn't pay plasma donors than to operate a center that does pay plasma donors. And by the way, taxpayers don't have to pay for the commercial plasma centers. Taxpayers aren't on the hook for that at all, right? Yeah, they don't have to exactly. pay for that. But taxpayers in Alberta have to pay for Canadian blood services, right? They have to pay for the plasma centers in Alberta. But it's two to four times more expensive, Rob. Right. And you get and you get less than half. And, and my guess, by the way, uh, Quebec, by their own lights, I read all of their annual reports, the HEMA Quebec annual reports. I read all of them when they first initiated the plan to open those four plasma V centers. They said that they convened experts and the experts said that they have to reach 30 percent self-sufficiency or 200,000 liters of plasma per year. So that was in, I think, 2014. A year later, they dropped the proportion. They stopped talking about the 30%. Now they just said 200,000 liters per year. A year after that, they lowered it to 150,000, right? It, the Plasma V experiment in Quebec, it's not working. It's failing. And Canadian Blood Services has asked for nearly a billion dollars to open 40 yeah. of these across Canada. I don't think they're going to work. Peter, we got to leave it there. Uh, NiskanenCenter.org, AdamSmith.org. People want to read this report for themselves. Thanks so much for joining us here today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. All right, that's Peter Jaworski with Georgetown University. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.